the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A major milestone tonight in my family. And then we're joined by Josh Moody, pastor of College Church. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us, Aubrey. It is a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Yes, it is. You know, it's getting that time of year in the summertime. Once the kids get out of school, you just kind of forget what day it is. I know. I love that. Is my favorite thing about summer. I do. You don't have to know what day it is. Now, as adults, you sort of do, and because we do a daily radio show, we sort of do. Like generally, it becomes but, important. <laughs> but like, I overall, that's a, that's a win of summer is not needing to know what day it is and but, being like, what? It's Tuesday. This past week on Sunday, I got to church early. And because uh, I needed to print some stuff off and whatever. And the worship team got there a little later than they normally do. And so there was this moment where I was 99% sure that it was actually Sunday. <laughs> but there was, I got to be honest, a 1% per- part of me that was going, is it Saturday today? Am I on the what? wrong Did day? Did I show up to church <laughs> on the wrong day? And then people started showing up. I was like, okay, I didn't I lose my mind. I have a friend who, like, it's kind of her part of her personality where she just perpetually mix up dates. So one time she and her husband went to a wedding. And they're at the wedding venue, waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, they were the first ones there? No, no, no. They were there the wrong week. It was the following week. And they had, like, traveled there and everything. And that was kind of the height of her. Like, she does that on many occasions, but that was, like, the height of it. Do you travel back then? No, no, no. They were like, screw it. We're done. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Well, today is Tuesday, people. So we're glad that you're with us. Aubrey, a big night well, I want to ask you if this is a big night because oh. I'm also going to I'm going to simultaneously tell you that it's a big night in my house and I'm going to grind my gears about something. Oh, okay? I love this. This feels like the best of all worlds right now. Tonight is my youngest daughter's middle school graduation. Oh, middle school graduation. So, yeah. Uh, tonight uh, is the day where for the first time since we moved to Downers Grove in 2009, there will no longer be a uh, from child in the uh, in the elementary, middle school, uh, school district, no, District I, 58. That is, so that's really that's that is the that is a uh, era ending yes. making moment. You know, what's interesting is Friday is my son's elementary school graduation Ooh. ceremony, which I think we'll probably grind gears about these ceremonies. <laughs> that's what's coming, but. Um, this will be the first time that Samson's ho- don't have anyone in elementary, elementary school. school. So okay. I feel that. It's real. It's yeah. a real strange thing when the eras change. Next year, I'll have a college student and two high school oh. students. So uh, Emily, yesterday on Monday, she got to do Great America with her class. That was yeah. their trip. And so. So fun. The learning stopped a little while ago. Even my kids have another, like, literally week of school. Today's Tuesday. They go to school two next through next Tuesday and part of the day Wednesday. And, like. They're doing like field days and yep. movie days. And I'm like, 
clean out your desk days. I'm like, can we just call it? Let's just, just call, call it. it. Just we won't call tell it. anybody, but just let's end the whole thing. So I do want to celebrate, but but let me take a tangent. Okay. Can I just categorically say middle school graduation is not a thing? Yes. Elementary school yes. graduation you is can. not a thing. Yes. Kindergarten graduation, while cute, cute. is Super not a cute. thing. Now, I don't know what you guys Super do. At, at our school tonight, they at least don't put them in caps and gowns. Okay, so that's the kids good. are just dressed nicely. Okay, so it's much more of a promotion. Ceremony. I just wish they would call it middle school promotion. Because are we really going to celebrate right. finishing middle school? Right. Is that really something that we need to be bringing the grandparents in for, and you know, taking pictures and, and this and, and that? This may seem harsh and privileged, but like also like. You should just finish middle school. You know what I mean? Like, there shouldn't be a really big milestone yes. in one's life. Like, yep. just you get through eighth grade. It is funny. We, My son did an eighth grade promotion ceremony, mm-hmm. but they did do the whole caps and gowns they thing. Did. And we Ooh. had to pay for it. Nope. I'm like, nope. that, you guys, I'm all, I love my son. I'm proud of his achievements. But, like, finishing eighth grade is just a, like, a... It's what it's you do. It's not even a rite of passage. It's, it's just like the calendar ends and then you go to high school. And you're going to a different building <laughs> right, next year. Right, That's it. That's it. But like it's a you whole say, thing. probably not everybody finishes junior high, but, but can I know. we put it? Well, yeah, not everyone does. Let's be, I'll be mindful about that. No, no, yeah. no. I think they really do. What do you think the percentages are? Into, I understand when kids were farming and when they were working in the steel mill or doing whatever else they did in the 1920s and 30s. That there wasn't a lot of finishing of junior high, but I really think people finish middle school unless they choose not to finish middle it's school true. these days. Okay, let's say I understand ext- high school graduation statistics really vary. Extenuating circumstances, let's give those people, and then like yeah, choice. Like you decide <laughs> working to- in the circus, <laughs> <laughs> right? You, you drop out to join the circus because you have to provide for your family. You drop out, to or you're like in an Irish famine. Those are the only drop out to because it used to be like. Uh, you know, I'm either going to go work the farm with dad or yeah, finish junior high. Yes. That just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Even in rural Illinois, right, I right. don't think that's happening so, anymore. Therefore, these this whole pomp and circumstance is a little unnecessary. It's a lot Again, unnecessary. it's cute, and we love our kids, and we no, want to celebrate not even our cute kids. Anymore. It's kindergarten. It's cute. <laughs> the like, those are thing, cute. So last year, or whatever, this this wasn't last year. It was several years ago. You know, they give you a sign. I'm a proud parent of a blah, 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 oh, middle school all the student. Signs and I'm like, days. middle school? Am I going to put that yeah. in my yard? Middle school? Yes. How about high school? I'll do it then. That all feels these good. signs. I'm this grad. I'm going yeah. here. I'm doing this. If they this. give me one for my fifth grader, I'm just going to be like, you keep the sign. <laughs> I love him. He's cute. But like, I'm not posting that in my yard. So, uh, are we jerks, Brian? No, no, I we're justified in this one. So, uh, (laughs) while we would be anti graduation ceremony for junior high, I do want to say this my youngest daughter's going to high school. Oh, like, passage uh, of time, bro. There passage is, you know, of time. We jokingly, uh, almost on a daily basis last year as we were preparing for my oldest to go to college on this show, we joked about uh, me just hearing cats in the cradle at all times. <laughs> but to be honest with you, my, my youngest daughter is, uh, uh, like, she can be a high schooler, like 13 years I mean, old. I mean, and that it's your youngest. 14 years old. I just got like, her age wrong. Oh, oh, he's 14. <laughs> 14. Um, yeah, that's a big deal that it's your youngest yeah. and she's going to be a high schooler. So that really is because you don't have another one where you're like, well, we still have a few more middle school years. Like, this is like, this is it. This is, you're, you're done. You're old now. And I, you're done I, parenting. My, my middle, Jackson, he's my one son. He, uh, I, I joked with him one day, but it's total middle child. Uh, thing because when your oldest does it first 
just you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I totally. have this. Yeah. I have this. there's yes. all these new moments. Mm-hmm. When your youngest does it, you're like, I can't believe it's the last one. Uh, I can't. Believe. When your middle one, you're like, all right, man, good job. <laughs> poor, our poor middle children. It's so like, true. Poor hey, middle kids. I got another one in that school. I got another one up ahead. We're good. Oh man. So congratulations. I, I mean, I'm good assuming job. they're going to hand my daughter her. Something. Is it, is They're going to hand her something. What are we getting? I don't even know. Yeah, so, surely she'll get. Surely congratulations she'll get to her. That's Con- so exciting. Congratulations then, to everyone graduating. Yes, all, all of their the things. graduates out there. Well done, you. <laughs> First grade, second grade, third grade. Well done. You, you know they just hold these ceremonies so they can bring in the professional photographer who takes the pictures, and then you get the email <laughs> later that says if you would like a picture. As one who's married to a photographer, she gets so mad it's at those. She's like, money. I'll take my own pictures. Just a money machine. <laughs> Right there. <laughs> it is. Coming up uh, next, uh, there was an obituary over Christianity today. Uh, we talk, we try to highlight people who we've never heard of, and then you read about their life, and it's amazing. Going to do one of those lives cool. of somebody who just recently passed next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, one of the things we've done on this show is to attempt to highlight stories of people and it happens when they pass away because that's when people are telling their stories or this or that sometimes we can get so caught up in the quote-unquote celebrities the Mm. famous people this that that then you read stories of people who pass away who did amazing things but you never heard of them that's important like it feels important to highlight people like that tell us why well i think it's mostly important for the same for the reason you literally just said is otherwise the only people that get highlighted and celebrated are already the ones with the big brands or the big names or the big platforms, the big ministries. And that's worth celebrating. But I, what we celebrate, we tend to replicate. And mm. so to be able to celebrate those who have lived sort of behind the scenes or out of the spotlight, but very faithful lives to Christ, I think that helps our whole Christian culture celebrate just like ordinary faithfulness. Mm-hmm. But then also it helps you kind of go, oh, I could do that. Like, hey, I'm never going to be able to be that famous Christian on the stage, but I could be the person who lives a faithful life. Yeah. And so I think it's worth honoring for that reason. Yeah. Too. So let me tell you the story here. Uh, Paul Eshleman, E-S-H-L-E-M-A-N. I'm going Eshleman. Eshleman, an yep. evangelism strategist who organized one of the largest outreach efforts of the 20th century so that everyone in the world could hear at least once that God loved them, died recently at the age Aww, of 80. Wow. So what you might be thinking, have I ever heard of this outreach project? Eshleman was the director of the Jesus Film <gasps> Project. Yes. Producing the 1979 feature for Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now Crew, mm-hmm. in partnership with Warner Brothers and overseeing its translation into more than 2,000 languages. I remember this. They would bring in like the screens yes. and the electricity yes. and like show this film everywhere. Yeah. Eshleman arranged for the film to be shown across the world from places in rural Asia and Africa where people had never seen electric lights before. Pause there. Could you imagine never having really seen electricity and then they bring in a movie? That'd no. be un- no, I think, I think it'd be that terrifying. Would be very overwhelming. To yes. national television broadcasts in places like Peru, Cyprus, and Lebanon. Listen to this stat. According to Crew, nearly 500 million people have indicated they made a decision to accept Jesus Come on. as their Lord and Savior after seeing this film. Like I get it. We Did can you say five hundred million. Five hundred million. We That's can parse. Amazing. We can, I, we sh- can parse yes. evangelism. This is not what this. It's amazing. Like this is amazing. Yeah. It's Listen amazing. to this quote that he said. 
he was quoted as once explaining. He said, I'm driven every day to say who hasn't had a chance to hear yet mm-hmm. and how can I make that possible? Wow. We are strategists for Christ, thinking of new ways to reach people with the message of life. Rick wow. Warren talked about his global impact. Franklin Graham said God used his life wow. greatly. I'd never heard this guy's name never before. Never heard his name before, ever. And think about the impact that he leaves. This is amazing, actually, to think about. And it also, I hear these stories, and I I mean, this probably is or isn't wrong. This is some of my personality, is I'm like, man, I don't have the urgency this guy has. Man. You know, it's very inspiring like to think about how he was just committed to as many people as possible hearing, seeing the message of Jesus in their own language, period. And at the end of the day, the fact that he was able to accomplish that vision, of course, by the grace of God and the power of God is amazing. And yes, I'm with you. Like, Yes. Can we parse out the decisions? Can we parse out the content? I, that's right, not let's the give point. them half. And like, it's like, let's not be cynical. You know, yeah. like this is one of those things where it's easy for the cynical side to step in, but instead to just celebrate, like here's someone who actually dedicated their whole life, their ministry, their effort to spreading the gospel, literally to fulfilling yes. the great commission. And man, that's amazing. And he lived a ripe Lives to a ripe old age of 80. Listen to this. His father, I love this story. His father was an evangelical minister who moved the family from Michigan to Florida in 1950. Why? To launch a Christian resort. Stop it. He purchased 30 acres of a closed army base in Boca Raton for $50,000, starting a church and a vacation community that evangelist Billy Graham dubbed Bible Town. What a cool thing. Okay, that is so cool. This is interesting. It says he committed his life to Jesus as a boy, but growing up, he was less interested in ministry than business, decided he wanted to become the head of an oil company or perhaps an auto manufacturer. But when he joined Campus Crusade Fellowship Group, uh, he became more and more serious about his faith. And that all, this is the best part, though. I love this. Part of his story is everything changed for him when he dated a girl who told him he was just, quote, fooling around with God and it was time to get serious or break it off. And that uh, kind of moved him to take God more seriously. So two amazing things there. This is missionary dating here. Two amazing things there. A, I didn't know he dated Elizabeth Elliot. And two, <laughs> or B, it's pretty amazing. That Brian's joking, everyone. I am joking. Uh it is pretty amazing that that many people came to Christ because he was awesome. challenged by this it's person. Awesome. So somebody, the, the current president of Crew, said this. Paul was a champion for the cause of Christ and challenged the church to consider innovative ways mm. to evangelize. You're our resident evangelist. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> innovative ways uh. to evangelist, uh, uh, to evangelize. Unpack that because some people might be like. No innovations, pro- progression, all yeah. of this stuff. No, we stick yeah. to the way we've always yeah. done it. And this, innov- take that phrase, unpack yeah. innovative ways to evangelize. I think one of them, now again, innovation can put too much pressure on you. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's still like build relationships with your neighbors and love them well towards Christ. Okay. With relational and emotional intelligence. So let's just start there. But I will say like, um, I have a friend who, um, my kids are on a, uh, site called twitch which is like for gamers okay Mm -hmm. he has started a twitch church literally the guy is a young guy loves video games is on twitch anyway started a church online and now there's all these twitch users that are into the video gaming digital world 
that are hearing the gospel of Jesus. And I would say like that's taking this idea of the Jesus film and moving it to 2023. Like where are people? Where's the next generation? They're online. And I know there's people who are like, but that's disembodied, blah, blah, blah. The question is about innovative evangelism. That is, I think, the the height of innovation when it comes to evangelism right now. Mm. Going where people are, where they haven't yet heard the gospel, and like rethinking how we're doing it. And I, I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm for it. So, uh, totally agree. And if anyone who thinks this can't still work, I would point you to The Chosen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, still going. Yeah. Uh, so an impressive life, an impressive life. Uh, Aubrey, Boca Raton Community Church. Yes. Now uh, meets in the 2,500 seat Bible Town Auditorium. Stop so it. Bible Town doesn't exist. I'm Googled. Does Bible Town still exist? <laughs> Did you Google it? And what did you find out? Yeah, that there are some animated shows called Bible Town, by the way. Oh. But also that uh, Boca Raton, they didn't want to just be a senior place. So they stopped being like a resort and they are now, it's a church and it is. Boca Raton Community I love Church. This for them. Bible Town. Good for would Bible you Town. Have, uh, would you have vacationed at a place called Bible Town? No. I would vacation in Boca Raton, Florida, though. Would you Very have vacation? True. You ha- you would have because you did you did. go to the didn't you guys I, go to the Billy Graham? Well, no, not Billy Graham. Uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Jim Baker. Jim and Tammy Faye yes. Baker. That's what I'm thinking. You PTL. went to that theme park. Yeah, uh, I went twice. <laughs> Yes, it was actually awesome. It this really is was amazing. Awesome. I Someday love it. Someday we'll unpack that story. I think for me, the closest I got to that is like Silver Dollar City. Okay. Kind of, that's sort of family nope. Christian. Yeah. Nope. The closest you got to that was Wheaton College. <laughs> <laughs> accurate, accurate. Coming up next, Aubrey and I are excited to be joined by a pastor we both respect, uh, Josh Moody from College Church in Wheaton. We're going to talk to Josh next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. One of the things we'd love to do on this show is to uh, bring on pastors that we respect locally uh, or nationally. And we are thrilled to be joined right now by the pastor of College Church in Wheaton, uh, Josh Moody. Josh, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian and Aubrey. It's great to be on your program. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we love having you on. We really do appreciate you spending some time with us. And uh, wanted to get your thoughts on this, Josh. Uh, Aubrey and I on this show, sadly, we talk a lot about uh, pastors failing, pastors kind Mm -hmm. of petering out. We, you know, whether it be documentaries or podcasts we all listen to or whatever else it might be. And you start to fall under this idea that, Gosh, does any pastor make it? Does any is every pastor power hungry? All mm. of these things people start thinking about us, and so I, I would love to hear from you as somebody who has a bigger church, somebody who has written books. Uh, how do you stay, for lack of a better word, grounded? How do you serve with humility? How do you keep doing what you know kind of drew you to being a pastor in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Well, humility is always a tricky topic to talk about, isn't it? I, <laughs> I've often um, thought of uh, Charles Spurgeon in one of his um, uh, wrote an article once that tongue firmly in cheek. Uh, he, he wrote it on, on humility, and he entitled the, the article "Humility and How I Achieved It." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's funny. Yeah, so you know the amazing Spurgeon. Yeah, uh, I thought about this a lot over the years, um, and maybe I, you know there's a lot to be said here, but just put out a few threads in my brain on it. Uh, first, I think it's important to normalize uh, the, uh, not that, of course, uh, pastors and elders should be above reproach, it's biblical, but the, uh, 
all the the sort of idea out there that somehow we're living in a time where it's wow, you, you mean there's a Christian leader who sins? I, or, or, <laughs> <laughs> have, have we read the Bible? I mean, there's David and, right, and right. Uh, Peter mm-hmm. who denied Jesus. Uh, Apostle Paul certainly gone to whoever was at fault between him and uh, the argument he had yeah. uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, I, that's a long debate. But anyway, at any rate, it's not... If we read the New Testament, we shouldn't be surprised that churches and church leaders get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Read the book of Corinthians, the first Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and the sort of things that were going on there. So I think it is important to normalize it. That said, I also think it's important to lean into it. Um, my uh, mentor, my preaching mentor, I've shared this publicly many times, I think, so it's fine to share it here, but um, actually had a moral failing. None of us who were working with him at the time knew it. Uh, in those days, he was well-known. I won't say his name, mm-hmm. but those who were around at the time would know who I was speaking about. Many, many years. We're talking 25 years ago, so now, um, or maybe longer. Uh, but he had significant public moral failing that was hidden from the rest of us. And so it's a, it's a matter I've had to think about a lot. What happened? Well, he actually did have theoretical accountability, I do think accountability is important, but I don't think it's enough. Mm. Uh, in the end, in the end, I think it comes down to your. And so, every time I say this, I feel it's so pious and trite; it's almost ridiculous to say. But it comes down to your personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Mm. And uh, Jesus taught that if we remain in the vine, we'll bear much fruit. Mm. And uh, the, my reflection on on this time, this preaching mentor of mine many years ago was that it seemed, on reflection, that he'd stopped having real, vital, personal, quiet time. He wow. just stopped doing that. And uh, so, mm. so I would say that. The other thing I would say, I think that's the core of the issue. Um, when I'm interviewing people for jobs uh, or when I'm thinking of building a team for something or other, one of the at least yellow flags and not red flags, I would find the Christian leaders. The question in my mind is, do they have friends? Mm. Mm. I mean, you know, real friends. Yeah. I mean, people who know them. Because <clears throat> you can have accountability, but if you're a, a leaders, tend to be a bit of a force of nature. Otherwise, they're not leaders. Right. Right. But it's hard. It's hard to call a leader out and say, "What are you doing?" But if you've got a real friend, um, you know, for my cultural background, they take you to the pub. You can't do that. You know, they take you out for a cup of coffee and they sit down. And you say, "Look, Josh." Um, you know, you were being a bit of an idiot there, weren't you, really, <laughs> to be honest? Yes. And you'd say, yeah, you're right. And that's how friends talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. But if you don't have friends, there's no one who can say that to you. Mm, so good. So Gosh, if you were thinking of a like a group of young pastors just beginning and they were coming to kind of asking you to pull on this thread a little bit more, like give us some advice so that we stay faithful till the end. We run our race well. What would you say to them, you know, beyond the couple things you've just shared with us? Well, I would say, number one, make sure you have regular quiet times. Make sure, and not, not preparing Bible study. Make sure you, <laughs> mm. uh, you actually are spending time with the Lord. I, and I would say, number two, make sure you have friends and, and give yourself to that. Um, and then there's some knucklehead obvious stuff. Uh, we're all liable to temptation. Don't put yourself in areas where you might, you know, you know you have weaknesses in certain areas, then yeah. stay away from them. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, and these things do matter. I listened to, you know, you've probably heard of Don Carson, but he, yep. he, I've known Don for a long time, and he has 
preached at our church a few times. I listened to one term of his recently, which was absolutely brilliant, on Joseph, and he did this majestic sermon on uh, Joseph. And then he sort of says uh, towards the end, uh, which is a long way of saying that uh, that uh, God's providence to reach the nations was significantly impacted by Joseph's ability to keep his zipper up. Whoa, <laughs> wow. You, you know, it was a very powerful, you think, yeah, of course, our personal, to stay out of compromising situations, but I think also elevate the vision of personal morality. Mm. It matters how I treat my children. It right. matters yeah. where my eyes go. It matters. Uh, and um, What else would I say? Mm. Um don't, uh, of course, that's all. I think some pastors deal with a lot of discouragement. Yeah. And it is tough being a pastor, particularly mm-hmm. a younger pastor. There are people in any church who sort of t- will test you if you're a younger pastor. Mm-hmm. And I think you just have to, it's uh, a long conversation, but <laughs> you have to expect it and you have to push through it. Yeah. Yeah. Lo- love your critics. I mean, critics, even your worst enemies, sometimes your worst enemies, even though what they're saying is utterly unfair and wrong, mm. they're still pointing out a weakness. Mm. And there's something you think, oh, actually, that is an area of weakness. I should learn from that. It's not that they're right, but the enemy is going after something because there's something to go after. So you think, mm. oh, okay, yeah. you know, maybe there's a point there. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Um, I don't know. I hope some of those things are helpful. That's good. Yeah, super helpful. Josh, I wonder, now that you've been a pastor for a while, uh, with the little time we have left with you, what, how have your goals changed? Like when you were a pastor in your younger years, say, uh, to now, like what do you value? What's important to you with being a pastor now? Oh, what a great question. Um, I, uh, I, think, uh, I think I always knew this, but I think I realize it more. I, a picture in my head is one, when I was a younger pastor, I went to, a wedding of a family friend, and there was a pastor there who'd been around for a while, and he was involved in the wedding somehow or other. And there was a reception afterwards, and I was wandering around talking to people. And then I suddenly noticed the pastor who'd been on the platform was sitting in the corner next to one of the old ladies in the church, just having a really fun conversation. And I thought, that's a little image I need to remember because uh, I, people need to know if you're a pastor that people need to know that you love them. And mm. that means you need to love them. Not just the powerful people, not just the rich people, mm. not just the young people. Mm-hmm. They need to know that they're loved. Mm. I think that's more and more important, especially with all the dynamics yeah. you yeah. talked about here. Wow. I, I spend more, try to spend more, try to be more visible, you know, just go out and chat to people. Mm. Oh, that's great. Again, Josh Moody is the pastor of College Church in Wheaton. You can go check him out. Also, uh, lots of books. Let me point you to the one that came out last year called Everyday Holiness, Becoming Who You Were Made to Be. That's Josh Moody. Josh, thanks so much for letting us pick your brain a little bit. This has been wonderful. Thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Well, thank you for having me on your program. What a wonderful series of great questions. Fun to chat. Yep, we'll do it again sometime. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Aubrey, I've really found that fascinating to think about not only does how does he stay grounded in this net, but then the part where he reflected on what's changed his priorities. I really appreciated that, actually. Just like bottom line, love people. It really and was. And I love everybody in your church. I just was like, yeah, if, the, if a pastor's not doing that, 
then yeah. the mark is being missed. I thought know? that was so, yeah, that really was good. really good. If you missed that conversation, you can go get the podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. All right. Did you... Ian used to mock me for being a big friend, a big fan of lists. Love the oh, list. I love, the, I love lists. That sounded like Seinfeld. You're not a Seinfeld fan. I love the list. Come on. I love lists. <laughs> it's Yeah. It's not that I'm not a Seinfeld fan. I just don't get the jokes because I didn't really watch you it. You just need to so go binge to Seinfeld sometimes. I need to go back sometime. and watch it, don't I? Uh, so, Bob, I'm going with Thune. How would you pronounce T-H-U-N-E? I would pronounce it Thune. Thune. <laughs> <laughs> so I would. <laughs> then you pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> Correctly. Then you are a crazy person. So here's a list, Aubrey. He wrote over at the Gospel Coalition about a week ago, six truths about the fu- church's future. Ooh. So he's trying to look ahead, and he says, here's six answers I proposed, right? Like, so he's he's saying, in the midst of church attendance dropping, all of this stuff, de-churching, deconstruction, decline, all the Ds, right? He looked at the, uh, at the, Amer- at the landscape of the American church, and he's very clear to say this isn't what the bible's proposing yeah this is what i see okay. in the future okay. so i think it's not infallible so let's take the six and it. go I love we it. agree we disagree yeah. so i'm gonna read them i'm gonna ask you to respond number one the church's future is certain mm. he basically says the church has a future because in matthew 16 jesus says to peter i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not pre uh, prevail against mm. it. So uh, he says, yes, your local church or mine may fold, split, yep. or shrink. Individual churches and denominations will rise and fall, yep. but the church as a whole will thrive. Yeah, I, I think he's right. I, I The one caveat I would say is how you de- how you define thriving, because mm. I I don't think it's beyond the pale to think one day we're all in an underground church situation, a persecuted church situation. So Thriving, I think, is de- dependent on how you define it. If we're talking about will the church always be these mega churches, thousands in attendance, freedom, and, you know, that may not be thriving. Mm-hmm. But I do think God will always build his church. God's church will always last no matter the circumstances. Absolutely. He's there right you about go. That Number two, the church's future is complicated. According to Jim Davis and Michael Graham, about 15% of American adults have stopped attending church Mm. in the last 25 years. And Pew Research projects that over the next 50 years, Americans who claim no religious affiliation, we've talked about that category as nuns, will rise to between one-third and one-half the population. But as you ponder declining church attendance, consider these statistics— 64% of Americans identify as Christians, 43% identify as Protestant, 35% as evangelical, half of black Americans identify as evangelical Christian, Latinos are the fastest growing Mm -hmm. evangelical population, 80% of teenagers with evangelical parents also identify as such. So his point is the future is going to be very complicated. Yeah, to me, complicated uh, feels too negative about this. Like, I would be like... uh, nuanced maybe like i i think what we're gonna see is those who go to church are no longer just doing it socially Mm -hmm. we already see that actually quite a bit so those who are in are all the way in and i do think what we're gonna see is a growth in like the global church influencing especially here in the states but other places and we're gonna see a more diverse church and i don't just mean ethnically i mean 
age as the younger generation mm-hmm. starts getting more plugged in. I mean demographic. And I, I do also mean like not just evangelical non-denominational Christians, but we're going to see other domina- denominations. Anglican might yep. be an example. Begin leading the way in some of the conversations around Christianity. So complicated. I don't know why. Maybe it's just how I'm interpreting it. Feels negative. Yeah. I think uh, nuanced, diverse, different. The complicating piece is the maybe the down yeah. growth. Or just the difference. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. defined complicated so to make you feel, because I do get it. If I described your marriage as complicated. That feels negative. That feels negative. Yeah. He says by complicated, true, <laughs> it won't be linear, monolithic, or predictable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yes. Okay. Someday we're going to do a, do a whole thing on, is your marriage complicated? <laughs> uh, number three. Uh, very interested to know what you think about this one. Ooh, let's hear it. The church's future is conservative. In oh. 2005, the United Whoa. Church of Christ became the first mainline Protestant denomination to officially embrace gay marriage. They expected this progressive stance to result in a growth boom. Uh, they announced an ambition. Basically, it's gone down by 50%. And he basically saying, you have all of these mainline denominations who have taken very progressive stances on things who are shrinking and... Uh, and uh, more conservative stances, orthodoxy, those churches are remaining or growing. I think the complicating, to use his phrase here, yep. is what do you define as conservative, conservative. and progressive? Yeah. Uh, but he's obviously taking this from a theological stance, not a political stance. Yep. But again, there's some spectrum in there. But what do you think in general about churches that stick more conservatively orthodox versus more of the mainline is that what's going on out there? So, I mean, this is interesting because some of the research that I I had a class uh, on this in grad school, and the research did show that mainline denominations have been on a, like a downward growth for a while. Mm-hmm. More more um, more liberal denominations have had a, a yeah have certainly had a sure. long term decline. So the research does show that. So I think there probably is some truth to that. And where we lose our commitment to biblical historic orthodoxy, I do think we lose like our fire and our prophetic ability to really like be the church in the world that we need to be. Um, I think where I kind of what you talked about a little bit, this defends depends on how you define conservative because there are things political. Yeah. You know, like there are things that I would say people would look at our church renewal church and say, we're not conservative, but in other ways we're deeply conservative, especially when it comes to Orthodox issues. So, um, yes and no. Yeah. I think that's fair. Let me read to you the next three. Okay. Okay. The church's for, uh, future is contested. Huh. So that's there's going to be pushback. Yes, right? absolutely. There's going to be pushback. Absolutely. Uh, number five, and I had to really read to feel, figure out what he meant here. The church's future is corporeal. Corporeal. Thought, what's that? Corporeal. Is that how that yeah, was pronounced? Yeah, that's how you say that. Okay. Which means, it, in here, he's saying, don't believe the hype around the metaverse and digital. Yeah. That eventually, it's going to come They're back to embodied. Physical embodied. Embodied yeah. church. Yeah. That's the future. And number six. Corporeal, huh? Number six, the church's future (laughs) is countercultural. And I think he would suggest that it always has been. This is fascinating to think about. I think what's just even fascinating is just to think there's some changes on the horizon. Yeah, definitely. Or just some headwinds or things. There's some trends, all of which uh, are true. Hey, we'll be back. 
back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.